0: Welcome to Rolemates, the D&D podcast where I teach my wife and you about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Greg.
1: And I'm Allie. And welcome to session eight of our podcast. Ocho. Ocho. I don't know how to say eight in any other languages. Hachi. Oh, is that Japanese? That's Japanese, yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, welcome. Hi, welcome back. Um, today, I want to talk to you about Villains. Villains. Yeah, I think in a lot of things that we've watched and, um, yeah, I guess watched like TV and read like books, TV shows, movies, I think we both tend to really like a good villain, like a well-written, interesting villain, as opposed to, you know, the sort of mustache twirling, I'm evil for evil's sake sort of villain like for example we recently saw the new black widow movie and we both walked out of the theater like that was so great but like something was missing and as we talked about it we realized that what was missing was like a good antagonist because the villain in that movie
2: just he was just super
1: powerful and wanted to take over the world and like nobody cares but i think that an interesting villain is a villain who has a backstory and has a reason for what they're doing. And I think that's what made like Thanos such a good villain because Mm -hmm. you learned so much about his past and his like, quote unquote family and like the the other people around him and his reason for being quote unquote evil. Like the villain should always be the hero of their own story. They need to think that what they're doing is right and just and good and blah, blah, blah. Um, It's, Super unrealistic for a villain to just say, I'm going to be evil because being evil is fun. <laughs> like that's so boring. But like an interest, a truly interesting villain to me is somebody that like maybe once or twice you find yourself kind of agreeing with or being like, I mean, they're not like with Thanos. I was like, he's not he got totally a, wrong. Got a point. <laughs> yeah. He has a point. His methods are, are messed up, but. I can see where he's coming from and like to me that's a way more interesting villain than somebody who's just like I want power, I want revenge, blah. And you know
0: there needs to be a reason behind yeah. that. There needs power. to be a reason
1: and there needs to be I think a relationship between the villain and the protagonist which which yeah. is what which is what makes like Voldemort such a great villain like His he and Harry's connection and relationship and the parallels between their lives, like what makes them similar, like that just makes that whole relationship so much more interesting to read about and uncover and things like that. Um, So all that being said, my question for you as an experienced writer and storyteller and DM is what? I guess I kind of answered my own question already because <laughs> I talked about what I think makes a good villain. But what do you think makes a good, I guess, D&D villain specifically when you're creating a a, a villain for your party to go up against? Um, how do you craft that villain and their story and their resources in such a way that is interesting for the party? Um yeah, is interesting and fun for the party and it can serve, you know, a multi session playthrough of this of this story. Go.
0: <laughs> so um yeah, you went over some of the uh things that make a villain compelling. Mm-hmm. Um and many of these things can be present, but it might not be enough to make the villain good. Mm-hmm. Um so what I thought about and the things that I keep in mind when I'm making a good villain is number 1 and some of these they um they translate to role playing games but in a slightly different way. Okay. But number number 1 they represent danger. Okay. Right. Number two. Well,
1: wait. G- give me an example. What does represent danger mean? Are you just going to go through? Yeah, I was going to go steps through and the then list go back. Then, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My bad.
0: So, represent danger, and then number two, they exploit their own strengths. Okay. And their opponent, so that'd be the protagonist, uh, the protagonist's weaknesses. Okay. Okay. Uh, three, they either learn or grow with the characters throughout the story. Okay. Or they set numerous traps, tests, and obstacles for the protagonist to overcome. Okay. And then number four, we have um, they represent the opposing force of the story's moral argument
1: or theme. okay. Okay,
0: so Let's go from the easiest to the most abstract, okay? Okay. So concrete things uh, representing danger, it should be obvious if they were not dangerous, then no one would wanna oh. stop them, okay? okay? And this kind of danger, it can be on a personal level to the protagonist, so like uh, harm to their body or death, mm-hmm. Um, and you can show how dangerous that villain is by killing a non-player character, or if a player character gets it in their head, ignores all the warning signs, and decides to charge right up against the villain, and um, the villain can defeat them in combat, you know, easily, Immediately. <laughs> or If the character still ignores, (laughs) you know, the clear danger, the villain can kill them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm not advocating for dungeon masters to design encounters specifically to kill characters. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is much as much of a player's decision as a DM's decision. Mm -hmm. The DM can design deadly encounters and they're meant to be deadly but they should you know drop in hints and warning signs like around the layer you see a bunch of bones of previous and like armor and weapons of previous adventures or you know you watch the villain kill a npc who has consistently been more powerful than your characters and was more of a mentor Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, Or a villain just consumes the souls of an entire village like with one spell. Mm -hmm. Like these are obvious signs that they are a threat to things.
1: So would you put um, like mini baddies in that category of like, Maybe first session, they don't fight the main villain, but they fight like some henchmen, goblins that they've sent out, werewolves, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Like I I think of um, Strahd and like how Strahd in and of himself is dangerous to fight, but he has, he sends out all of these other elements. Like the mist is dangerous and the werewolves are dangerous and the, what else does he have?
0: Uh, he has like vampire spawns, yeah. uh, strad zombies, yeah. Um, and which,
1: which—that's like that to me—is an interesting kind of storytelling thing because the the villains' resources set create the the setting mm-hmm. and like inform like the spookiness and the tone of the setting. But it all leads back to like what he's controlling and what he's putting out there. Similar, I'm going to keep going back to Harry Potter because that's my basis for everything um it's like voldemort and the death eaters like even Mm -hmm. when voldemort is not around you have people like lucius malfoy you know being a dick and reminding the characters of like what the danger is and how how entrenched it is in their environment
0: yeah and i mean i would say the death eaters outside of bellatrix Mm -hmm. Aren't the best examples because they're a bunch of punks. Okay. Um, Barty
1: Crouch Jr.
0: Okay, well there's Barty Crouch. Th- but yeah, yes, some these, of the Death Eaters these, were
1: crappy, but yeah. the point of the Death Eaters was and when like hmm. when the war was at its highest prior to the the events of the book, the Death Eaters were everywhere causing mayhem like right.
0: Yeah. The so the um It, it so with henchmen. Mm-hmm. and stuff, or like the second bad, Darth Vader, mm-hmm. or um, the Witch King of Angmar in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. um, they should represent extensions of the villain's danger. So uh, Darth Vader beats up Luke, you know, him in the cuts off his hand, throws him in the garbage, <laughs> you know, but it's like th- he is a fraction of what Palpatine's power is you know
1: question that's really interesting to me why then is vader like so much more iconic than palpatine nobody talks about palpatine like palpatine is not Mm -hmm. a a figure in the general consciousness i mean if you watch the movies and stuff you know who he is but if you ask the average person on the street like who is the villain in star wars they're gonna say darth vader like every single time what make even though vader is i guess technically a lower level baddie What makes him the top in so many people's minds?
0: Well, I think it's kind of similar, at least for me, as why I like Saruman as a villain more than Sauron. Mm -hmm. And it's because they're a clear and ever-present threat. Mm -hmm. Like Vader is always coming after the... Rebels mm-hmm. all the time and He just looks
1: so cool and he does it. <laughs> yeah, he
0: looks so cool. He chokes his own people like he's um, I mean even physically more imposing mm-hmm. And that sort of thing and he's like this unstoppable force
1: and he has a much more interesting relationship to the protagonist
0: That's another thing too. You know Palpatine is more of the classic, you know, he. It looks evil for evil's sake, but then, you know, when I go into different yeah, types of reason. villain, he's more of like the mastermind yeah. type of. So, even though even then still kind of I'm an evil Sith Lord, I'm going to do evil Sith things. Mm-hmm. But but Vader's a clear and present danger all the time. Mm-hmm. Um
1: and I mean with the Sauron yeah. Saruman thing, you literally never see Sauron. Exactly. Ever. Yeah. Like even in the books, they never Yeah. He he never comes to you just see this big fiery eye and that's literally it. So it's kind of hard to uh like attach an emotional reaction to a concept of a person.
0: It's more abstract yeah. and and he would fit more into my fourth point about the moral argument, but mm-hmm. also the ring is an extension of his power. Yeah. So the ring represents I mean, it's a clear danger to Frodo, and you see it through Gollum, what it did, but it's like this is only a portion of Sauron's power. Mm-hmm. Imagine if he was at full strength. Yeah. We just never get to that point. Um, It could be a danger to the hero's families, their towns, their world. Mm-hmm. It has to be dangerous. Right. Um. So they need to exploit their own strengths and the players' weaknesses. weaknesses. um so in d and d, you know, we have our attributes, mm-hmm. you know, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. And when you look at different um stat blocks of monsters and antagonists, and then even with the players. You'll have some high, some lower, some in the middle kind of thing. And that's supposed to inform a DM as to how those um, encounters play out. Mm-hmm. Like a high intelligence um, enemy mm-hmm. plans ahead, you know, and they set traps mm-hmm. and they and they know, kind of can anticipate what the players are gonna do.
1: So kind of like... Um- not Joker, like the Riddler.
0: Yeah, like the Riddler, exactly. The Joker is more of like a high wisdom, high charisma, mm-hmm. uh, villain in that he's very perceptive mm-hmm. of things. He's and so
1: per- he could be like emotionally or mentally manipulative.
0: Exactly, yeah. And his his charisma is like he has this force of will mm-hmm. that um lets him get what he wants, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So they're able to leverage those strengths. If you have a big brute of a villain like Bane mm-hmm. or even further like a um, a powerful deity or um, like the alien mm-hmm. or something, That's their like instincts, strength, strength, yeah, their reflexes, stealth, they're able mm. to exploit these specific things And then a really good villain. The
1: thing would be like maxed out in stealth.
0: Oh yeah, the thing would be completely maxed out in stealth. (laughs) Um, The thing is, it's like a more, it's an instinctual, but it can pass on Mm -hmm. those that it's like absorbed kind of thing. So. It's like in its base form, it's almost pure instinct, but once it absorbs other things, mm. then it starts becoming manipulative. It understands. It can like evolve, sort of. Yeah, it understands on some level, human interactions mm-hmm. and stuff.
1: So would you say that when a DM is building a villain, like say you're home brewing, because I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the the, the pre-baked the villains, uh, like Strahd and stuff like that, You have their stats on hand, you know, kind of what their character's about. If you're creating or homebrewing a villain, is it a good idea to sort of, because I feel like the instinct would be like, oh, they're super powerful, they're like a deity, so I'm just gonna like have everything super high. (laughs) But is it it a better idea to have, um, I guess, what is it called, min-maxed, where like some things are really high and And some some things things are are a lot lower, so that you can really pinpoint in on those, like like the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, the thing would not have a, a fairly balanced character no. sheet. It would be super maxed out in some things and pretty low in others. Right. So is it a better idea for a villain to, I guess, min-max it?
0: Uh, typically, because on some levels you want the players to, for them to have a weakness that they the players mm-hmm. can exploit. And um, also if it was
1: a balanced character, it wouldn't be a villain like a villain has like an advantage that gets that they can Mm -hmm. use for power
0: yeah now some like those deities or demon lords or whatever they have super high stats some are a little bit better than others Mm -hmm. but they are all like above and beyond characters and um that's just the nature of their power but Um, on some level, it still informs. Like if you take Demogorgon, Demogorgon has high intelligence, wisdom, charisma, but it has immense strength. Mm -hmm. And its go-to thing outside of just making people go insane is it's just gonna brute force its way through things. Mm -hmm. And once it encounters something that it can't necessarily brute force, then it will resort to think like uh, they talk about like how the higher demons have this, um, this evil cunning to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they are chaotic evil, but it's not just, oh, I'm just going around murdering things. There's this subtleness to them that allows them to circumvent some problems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you design a villain, like your lich shouldn't, Unless, unless it's like a a, a, a physical martial lich, kind of makes it interesting. If in the middle of combat he just pulls out a giant warhammer <laughs> and starts bashing players because they think it's just oh this puny wizard lich, that makes it interesting in in some ways. But you gotta lower some other things like its wisdom mm-hmm. or something, or give it a vulnerability to radiant damage yeah. or something. Because
1: then it's just op and it's not. It won't be as fun because yeah. it's like whatever you throw at it, it just you can't do anything yeah. to it.
0: Or make that lich's phylactery its hammer, and <laughs> you got to break it. Dang. You know, so y- you you got to have these strengths to exploit. But then with the party, and this kind of feeds into my third point about the villain learning. Mm-hmm. The villain, what's great with like Strahd is he has spies everywhere. Mm -hmm. And occasionally he'll show up in encounters just to dick around with the players. Mm -hmm. Um, But the whole time he's learning about the players, Mm -hmm. how they work together, which one, what the roles in the party are, how they um, combine those, their strengths together, what things can I exploit, Mm -hmm. what temptations can I offer? If the villain is always present or there is a henchman that is always present like Vader in Empire Strikes Back, he knows Luke cares about his friends mm-hmm. and so he baits Luke through the force to ditch his training with Yoda mm-hmm. and go over there to save his friends and then, you know, Luke falls into a trap. Mm-hmm. Um
1: does that also <clears> apply to like I, re- I can't think of an example right now, but I really like when There's a plot element where it's like the characters have to um, like find something or get some piece of information or collect bits to put together. And the villain is on that same trajectory, like they're kind of racing each other to complete some sort of task that if the villain completes, it'll be like the end of the world or whatever. Does that fall into that category too, where they're learning not necessarily about Mm -hmm. the character, but they're learning like how to be more powerful?
0: Yeah, I'd say so. Like um it's and and those villains are really interesting. It's one thing to have, you know, that epic level villain that's already super strong like or Thanos,
1: like getting the the Infinity Stones. I feel like He's
0: power Yeah, and so that's almost a quest in itself. Yeah. It's a race of who collects yeah, all which the which I find super interesting. You know, or like in um Game of Thrones, you what's interesting is where it's kind of funny because it seems like nobody knows how to rule in <laughs> that. Um, but you have like Tywin Lannister who's already in his prime mm-hmm. and it seems like he has you know an answer for every problem. But then you have um, Cersei who thinks she knows what she's doing and you have Tyrion who has the best intentions, but his um, like his calls aren't always spot on, mm-hmm. and it it can, and he has uh, very personal weaknesses mm-hmm. to him that people exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, learning the villain learning as the quest or the story goes on is really interesting because mm-hmm. even from a player perspective you see this person growing and every achievement they make, it's like, oh, damn, we could have stopped him. Yeah. Or we we left the door to the vault open uh. and he found the, the hidden room <laughs> that had like the powerful artifact yeah. or whatever.
1: I mean, I think that is what makes Game of Thrones so interesting is like that whole series, when done properly, like in the books, mm-hmm. um, is about information. Who has what information, when, because it's, it's a time where information travels so slowly. Mm-hmm. Right, so who has what information, and then what are they going to do with that information, and can the other characters like anticipate what their next move is going it's to? It's like chess almost.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Which I'm I missed from the show <laughs> at a at a certain point.
0: Um, and then um, the kind of inverse of that, if this is a villain that's kind of in the background most of the time, like Sara and like Palpatine. Um, even to an extent Cersei Mm -hmm. um, or or the White Walkers, Mm. they have many obstacles in the way. Mm -hmm. There's many, they have a lot of henchmen, you can't just storm the castle. Um, There's traps that they place or
1: uh, Or trials. Or even argue some kind of protection, like Cersei doesn't, like, if Arya wanted to go in and just kill Cersei, which she wanted to, it's more, less henchmen and more, like she just has so much power and she's hidden behind all of these walls that like her status Mm -hmm. keeps her safe.
0: Right, yeah, and that's what's in. So the political villain Mm -hmm. has access to all these resources. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you could say, you know, I mean, the wealthier you have or the more status you have, the more resources at your disposal that other characters need to navigate yeah. to get to you.
1: But yeah, the, I think the easiest thing in D&D is like, yeah, having a row of henchmen in front of them that you have to fight mm-hmm. or like having various levels of like, like a video game, right? Where you start with the more basic things to defeat and then you get, as you get closer and closer, the henchmen get more and more difficult. Yeah, difficult, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and this could be, you know, wittingly or unwittingly, if you have a group of cultists who discovered, so like if you look at, you know, Lovecraftian horrors, uh, cosmic horrors, great old ones, all that stuff, they really don't care about mortals. Mm -hmm. They, They just are, and if they enter our world, our world, as we know it, is just wiped out. But you have a lot of fanatics who form these cults, and so, the the great old ones don't necessarily know or care or instigate these people. Mm-hmm. These people rise up around this power, mm-hmm. you know, so you can have that element in your game or uh, there's a module called the um, Princes of the Apocalypse where you have these cults cropping up around the different elements because they believe that this element... Um, Should uh, dominate the world. It's kind of like Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire, (laughs) where you have Team Magma and Team Aqua, Mm -hmm. where water should cover the whole earth or earth should cover the whole earth, and (laughs) we die either way. Yeah. So, yeah. And then number four, I have it represents. The opposing force of your moral argument or theme in your story, mm-hmm. and a lot of people say, "Oh, it's D D. Like, why? Why is there, you know, even a moral to the story or whatever?" There should be because yeah. you are even, telling a story, even if
1: it's just good versus evil, right? Like,
0: yeah, it can be. It can be as simple as that. Really, and and most most games take that form, and that's why fantasy is such an attractive thing to people because in all the old tales, King Arthur and blah, 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 like you had the forces of good and the forces of evil and even Star Wars versus Star Trek, like you have Mm -hmm. good versus evil and it's an easy theme or whatever. But if you have, for example, um. If you look at gothic horror, vampires, werewolves, those classic monsters, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, each of those monsters, zombies Mm -hmm. included, they represent uh, the mirror of humanity in some way. There's something about those monsters that we feel resides within us Mm -hmm. that is detestable and we're afraid of becoming that. Mm -hmm. So like a werewolf is like this primal savagery that humans are still animals and that animal is still in there and it's Mm -hmm. fighting to get out.
1: I feel like they represent like an imbalance.
0: Yeah, uh, an imbalance of emotions or self-control. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde would be like, like the emotion. it kind of hits
1: you over the head with yeah, that it does. metaphor.
0: <laughs> but vampires are literal predators. They're mm-hmm. not your Twilight vampires. Oh, no, yeah, fuck, fuck the, that. <laughs> these are beings like Dracula is based on Vampire, and the story Vampire is based on Lord Byron, mm-hmm. who people say he, he was a predator. Yeah. In many different ways. And
1: that just made me think of, so we were talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer the other day, and it occurs to me that I think one of the reasons that Buffy works so well is that it's about vampires, in case you are listening and didn't know. Um, that's the main thing that she fights is vampires. And I feel like vamp- the, vamp, the whole vampire thing is also very, it's like very sensual and sexual, and it's like giving into your desires, and it's very physical. And I think that Having a protagonist who is a teenage girl, and your teenage years are when you are the most like flooded with hormones and learning about how to control all of that stuff. I think that's an interesting. Um, I never thought about that parallel in that show before, especially given the fact that she falls in love with and has sex with <laughs> two of the vampires. Um, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that, like, I think an interesting vampire, uh, bleh, an interesting villain is a villain that the protagonist can see themselves in. Mm-hmm. That they can see either whatever that that fear of imbalance is, of like, I could become this, or like, I could go down the same path, Luke and Vader, Harry and Voldemort. Like, it is, they have so much similarity that the hero has to make, it's almost a, a innate challenge to the hero of like, I have to consciously choose to go the opposite path as you and Mm. not give in to like, yeah, whatever temptation that the villain is intentionally or unintentionally offering to them.
0: Yeah. Like there's, uh, going back to vampires. So in the- um, (laughs) They're great villains. But in in the Legacy of Cain video game Mm -hmm. series, which yeah. i feel like nobody knows what that is that's okay <laughs> if watch watch this the series like the um the cutscenes and stuff like that they are on youtube time traveling shakespearean vampires Hell yeah it's perfect but um <laughs> the theme of the of the whole series is like fate and destiny and can you change those things like are you prescribed on this wheel of fate to Mm -hmm. do the same thing over and over and what's great about that is yeah there's this eldritch entity that gains more and more influence but really the primary or the most interesting villain in there is Mobius, the time streamer, (gasps) who literally manipulates time. Mm -hmm. And he does this for his own ends. And one of his ends is to eliminate all vampires because of his backstory stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's really interesting because when you have something, a mechanic, if you will, that the story kind of revolves around, If you have a villain and a hero fighting over that mechanic, Mm -hmm. in this case being time, then you have two opposing sides of the argument. You have one who is trying to preserve because he's seen multiple timelines and he's chosen the one where vampires don't exist Mm -hmm. and he wants to preserve that status quo. And then you have the other, the protagonist, trying to change that to make a better world for themselves. Mm Now you have a moral argument versus like status quo and change, Mm -hmm. you know. So, even if you don't realize it, you may have one in your story, but you should plan your story around one because that makes for better villains.
1: So, I have a question. I feel like there are things that we've watched and enjoyed that arguably don't have a villain. Point example WandaVision. Who is the villain? Who's the antagonist in the story of WandaVision? Spoilers for WandaVision. Yeah, spoilers for WandaVision. Go friggin' watch it if you haven't.
0: Well, okay, so.
1: Because the... we can both agree that mm-hmm. that is an exceptional show. It's an exceptional story. It's, it's in my opinion, like flawless mm-hmm. television. It's so good. But there is not, which is interesting because the whole superhero genre is built on literally superheroes oh, well, versus villains. There
0: is. There's Agnes. But but I, I, my first thought was going to one of my types of villains, okay. and one of those are the anti-villain. <gasps> and the anti-villain's interesting. So it's like you have the anti-hero mm-hmm. who has these noble goals, and the way they pursue pursue them are not the greatest, not the best, not the best. Um, so like Batman, anti-hero, classic.
1: Punisher?
0: Punisher, anti-hero. Um, legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, <laughs> Raziel. But Cain is also an anti-villain. So an anti-villain is someone- Wait, So what's
1: the difference between an anti-villain and an anti-hero?
0: So an anti-villain has actively like evil methods, but the way they go about them is, is good.
1: So then, so Batman is an anti-hero because...
0: Yeah, he's an anti-hero.
1: What's an example of an anti-villain?
0: So an anti-villain, the... um, Loki? Yes, kind
1: of. I'm getting confused. I
0: I would need to think a little more (laughs) on Loki. But like, um, so for example, in Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. you have a perfect triad for this. You have Davos, who is an anti-hero in many respects. Davos
1: is the Onion Knight?
0: Yeah, the Onion Knight. He has very um, noble intentions. He wants to generally do good, Mm -hmm. but he's a smuggler and a criminal and and that sort of thing. On the opposite, you have Melisandre, Mm -hmm. who... So, like Davos's methods are kind of unsavory in how he does things.
1: But he has good intentions.
0: But he has good intentions. Okay. Melisandra does have good intentions. And that's to stop the White Walkers, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. But her methods are actively evil.
1: So, then what's the difference? They both have good oh, wait, intentions. Am I explaining
0: her wrong? I'm they, you just wrong. said they both have good no, intentions,
1: but bad methods.
0: Sorry. So Melisandre wants to place Stannis in a position of power.
1: No mm-hmm. oh, way. Because isn't she selfish? Like me, she wants to.
0: Wait, wait. I have other. I have ah. I have other people. Got,
1: I have to convert with the notes. Magneto. Okay. So
0: and and also poison ivy, we'll say. Okay. So uh, Magneto and poison ivy want to do away with all humans. Mm-hmm. One so that there's a world of mutants. The other because there's a world of plants and just nature is yeah, she's preserved. She's a
1: humanitarian, or not a humanitarian, mm-hmm. an envir- environmentalist. But
0: that is an evil notion. That's an evil goal. Okay. Um. The same with Danos. He wants to get rid of half the universe for good reasons, to fight for resources, and eventually everyone is going to die. Those...
1: So are you describing anti-heroes or anti-villains right now?
0: Anti-villains.
1: So anti-villains have good intentions but bad methods. Yes. So, so does a... Anti-hero have bad intentions with good methods? What is the, what is the difference between an anti-villain and an anti-hero?
0: The, Do we need to consult the Google? No, no, no. The, the anti-villain has evil methods.
1: While an anti-villain might be a villain with some redeeming features. So uh, poison ivy because mm-hmm. it's like, She's a villain, but you can kind of be like, ah, oh, but she just she likes plants. An anti-hero is a heroic character without the conventional charms. So they might do the right thing, but mostly out of self-interest. So okay, yeah. Maybe so
0: Melisandra, she does want to fight the White Walkers,
1: but out of self-interest.
0: Well, I mean, it's to save the world, and her. Well, God that's a byproduct. Telling her God is telling her to do it. Yeah, but but I mean, she's burning people alive to. Yeah, birthing shadow babies. Severus Snape. Se- okay, Severus yes, Snape, Snape is, an is one.
1: That's okay. That that's cements it in my brain because yes, he he. What we find out at the end of the series is he's always done the right thing. He saves Harry's lives. He protects him. He blah blah blah. But it's entirely just because yeah. he's a f- idiot. He's um, a simp. He, <laughs> my gosh. Okay. Simp him for uh, yeah, because he's he's selfish and can't get over Lily. So yeah. Of an anti-villain does bad things, but you can kind mm-hmm. of be like, uh, or like I'm, "I'm on board in- with that." And then an anti-hero is somebody who does good things, but they're like a dick about it. Yeah. So Venom.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Venom um, is a good example of an anti-hero. I so,
0: and a-, a perfect anti-villain is Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Okay. Who it's like, yeah, I'm killing people to find out in information because douchebag company only gave me like they gave me an expiration date yeah and i want to live like anyone else should yeah um
1: i feel like a lot of anti-villains are like uh rebels or revolutionaries or like people who are mm -hmm. like trying to change the status quo what they think is for the better but the it's it's like um like a means justify the end sort of thing where they're like, I don't care how many people I have to kill or hurt or whatever, as long as, you know, this new world order or this new um, status quo can come yeah. into effect.
0: Like, um, so now that I've kind of sorted it out in my head <laughs> with Davos, he's not going to go around murdering people mm-hmm. to, to do what he thinks is the right thing. Melisandre has no qualms. So I
1: think Davos is an anti-hero.
0: He's an anti-hero. Okay. She's the anti-villain. Right. Stannis is caught in the middle, and they are both kind of pulling him in one direction or the other. Mm-hmm. Book Stannis. Show Stannis completely, um, they have messed him up. But
1: So where would Arya Stark fall?
0: Um because in the within
1: the within the the span of the book, she does a lot of bad things, she does a lot of good things, she does a lot of things out of self-interest, and she does a lot of things to help others.
0: I I mean I can't speak ultimately for the books, how it turns out in the end. Oh yeah, because we don't know. But I, where
1: where the books stand.
0: Where the books stand, I'd say she's anti hero. Okay. And at least where the show continues, she's anti villain, super ninja, (laughs) Mary Sue. Oh, shit. At the end. Um, That's how you really feel. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So we have the anti villain. That's one kind of villain. You have the corrupted or the fallen. So there's like Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. Um,. Reagan, what's her name? Reagan McNeil from The Exorcist. So that's Linda Blair's character, mm-hmm. possessed, literally possessed by a demon. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, classically you have Lucifer, and in in um, in D and D there's Zariel, who's an angel, and she's fallen and becomes one of the uh, archdukes of hell. Um. You have Jack from The Shining.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You know, Michael from well, The Godfather.
1: I, would you? I feel like some people would argue that Jack from The Shining was. Because when I hear corrupted or fallen, it's like they started off good as a good person, and then some external force or influence changed them from their nature. I feel like some people would argue that Jack and Anakin were already kind of shitty people and they they succumbed to the influence that they were subjected to
2: no. because isn't
1: the shining one big metaphor about or not metaphor but like it it has a lot of implicit and explicit um storytelling about like parental abuse like was but, he an abusive parent even before the hotel started influencing him He
0: was he was a douchebag but a lot of that came from his alcoholism Yeah um, which had nothing
1: to do with the hotel
0: Right but the hotel preyed on it and ultimately like drew it Okay out of him like it it, it <laughs> So I feel just like, like Anakin Anakin he was literally a little kid first in the in the second movie he just wants to save his mom. He wants to do good. He wants to have a girlfriend <laughs> like he 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 is very idealistic, mm-hmm. but it's palpatine on his shoulder is manipulating him that way. So he would not be the way he is. I
1: feel like there are two subtypes of villain within that category. Because I think there are some villains that it's like that seed of evil is like inside of them and some external force preys on it and brings it out. And I think there are some characters that really and truly started off
0: good, good, truly
1: good and that they were influenced or taken over by yeah. something so like that the, completely changed the
0: them. The exorcist is...
1: Yeah, the exorcist little is... Little
0: girl, you know, yeah. just wants to play with her toys and, uh, you know, a demon possesses her. Yeah, yeah that's like a that's literal... That's way different,
1: I think, you know, than, thing. yeah.
0: Um, or yeah, it could be, yeah, it's some external force just turns good person into bad person. Yeah. So then I have the brute mm-hmm. or the beast so mm-hmm. if you think of, you know, a a vampire, but not the more distinguished ones like yeah. Dracula or something or werewolf. Those are like classic things.
1: Or it's more like animalistic.
0: Yeah, like more nature. physically imposing. Yeah. Like it it's it's like an unstoppable force kind of thing. Bane is kind of like that. Yeah, he has some mastermind stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but you also have from like Kill Bill, the deadly Viper assassination <laughs> squad. Okay. All of those, um, all of them are typically brute force. I mean, you have like, um, uh, I forget her name, uh, the one with the eye patch. She mm-hmm. kind of resorts to a lot of sneakier- Daryl Hannah's character. Daryl Hannah's yeah. character she does like a lot of sneakier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but Vivica a. Fox like comes in knife like you know, <laughs> just, just go. going at it. Um and you can still make them smart. They don't have to be dumb. Yeah. You know, like a werewolf is still a predator. Wolves are smart. Mm-hmm. They don't just go in to attack. Yeah. You'll you'll see it every time. Like
1: the the alien from aliens. Like she was smart as hell.
0: Yeah. She it, like in
1: the second movie when they're actually when they actually have more time like fighting her. Like, yeah, she's really smart, but her main um, method is just to fucking bite your head off. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she's not going to monologue to you while she has you tied up. Like, no, she's just going to fucking kill you.
0: Yeah, like animals, um, things, things, uh, just because they can't speak or just because... They don't have those like higher reasonings. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean, and you'll see a lot of those uh, monsters in the manual will have high wisdom. Mm -hmm. They can discern targets, Mm -hmm. like what targets look weaker than others? You know, kind of They have hunting skills. They have hunting skills, exactly. So, and then I have the mastermind. Mm -hmm. So if you think of any Bond villain or any mystery, villain or like
1: that guy from black widow that we didn't like yeah
0: uh pal palpatine is like that ursula is a mastermind like if you think of devils or like how ursula like they make contracts Mm -hmm. and they make legal hurdles to (laughs) exploit those contracts those are classic masterminds which i think
1: is super funny because again we were talking about buffy the other day and the Angel spinoff of that show there, well, spoilers for Angel if you're ever going to watch it. There is a um, a legal team called Wolfram and Hart that you end up finding out are like a team of mastermind, like demon gods. Yeah. <laughs> and they really play up the whole like lawyers are demons sort of yeah, mentality. Yeah. And it's super <laughs> funny. Um, I also like to think of those, like what you're talking about now, the mastermind, like, the puppeteer like the puppet master who is like behind the scenes pulling all the strings being very like they'll play the long game the long game to get what they want and like have this long detailed plan in order to yeah So, like would you you, what would you say Thanos falls into because I feel like he is very mastermindy because he's been trying to get these infinity stones literally for like 20 movies um
0: Um, I think at his but he also
1: does a lot of brute force stuff like He's a freaking yeah. wall well, of a person.
0: Those are those are aspects of him. I think at his core, he he's still like the anti-villain because if left to his own devices, he's a loner. Mm-hmm. He wanted to just go out of the garden or whatever, but in order to achieve his goals. He, he did, did but time. even as a mastermind, he really didn't plan things that well because it got to a point where he's like, oh, fine, I'll take care of it, myself. it myself. And that's when well, he done. tried on to the mastermind
1: it and, and it kept failing.
0: It was more like, I'm going to weaken forces that, like, however my henchmen do it, they'll do it. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel like he's a mastermind, like on the level of um, like- um joker in the dark knight honestly yeah that's completely true. manipulates all events to his own to end. be
1: fair the joker didn't have a whole galaxy's worth of um
0: things to run to <laughs> he
1: yeah. was in one little city yeah well but no i see what you mean i see what you mean
0: yeah, I mean, um, but Palpatine, mm-hmm. it's not on the level of Palpatine. Like, Palpatine specifically exploited all the legal loopholes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he re- he played both sides of the Clone War, orchestrated the downfall of the but Jedi. So, that's
1: a good point, though, in, in the main answer to the question is that a good villain doesn't have to fall into just one no. category. Like, maybe they should have one main category, but they can borrow elements from the others to make them more compelling and dynamic.
0: And part of that is, could be them learning throughout the story. Yeah, You know that maybe, oh, I can't get access to whatever it is Mm -hmm. because there is a big dragon in the way, I don't really wanna fight it. So I'm just gonna manipulate my way into getting a bunch of armies to Mm -hmm. go against it kind of thing.
1: So we only have like 10 minutes left, but I also wanted to talk about role-playing a good villain. like Mm. When the DM is... When the villain is in the room with the party and the DM is bringing this character to life, what are some things that you want to do? What are some maybe faux pas or things that people tend to do that don't really serve the character very well? Um, Talk about that a little bit.
0: So I think more if... If you are not an actor or an improv person or you don't do voices or anything, that is totally fine. You don't, you don't have, that is not a requirement of being a DM. Mm -hmm. What I will say is do your best for your villain because the more distinct you can make your villain, the more memorable, the more you will cement those, um, those points in the player's mind, Mm -hmm. that's one thing. The second thing, really know what your villain wants to do. Mm -hmm. Know what they want to do, know about their methods and their goals for achieving things. Mm -hmm. If you have something like an existential threat, that's a type of villain we didn't really talk about. Those are more like forces of nature And stuff. So like Cth- Cthulhu coming down and just making the whole world go mad. Like you're not gonna punch Cthulhu in the face. <laughs> the real villains that you're fighting are the cultists that are trying to awaken him. Yeah. You know. So you you want to make it clear to the players what is the ultimate danger for this. Mm -hmm. Is it control of a kingdom? Is it them achieving their vengeance and wiping out a whole family line? Is it to kill a specific player or is it to get this artifact that gives them complete power?
1: Or to kidnap Irina Koliana.
0: Or to kidnap Irina (laughs) Koliana, yes. Um, Which... That, you know, that is, a, that is a real danger and you'll have some players be like, oh, well, I don't really care about this NPC. I wanna live my story. Yeah. You should, session zero, you should communicate to, their, to your players before the game even starts. Mm-hmm. You know, you can make kind of whatever character you want, backstory, with limitations but your motivations is this. Mm -hmm. You're working together as a team to accomplish this. One of the best uh, things I heard was from Sly Flourish on YouTube, he said for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, Mm -hmm. it's about this God that's making this everlasting winter. He said, don't tell your players your goal is to work as a team to defeat um, Uril, the mm-hmm. goddess of winter, it's your motivation is you work together as a team to protect the inhabitants of 10 towns. Okay. Because that will lead to them defeating Uru, mm-hmm. but they have a motivation that anchors them into the world. It communicates that 10 towns is an important place and mm-hmm. it's somewhere you should preserve. Mm-hmm. You should also not be afraid to pull your punches when the situation calls for it. Mm-hmm. You that doesn't mean you need to wipe out the party. You can imprison the party. Maybe the villain has specific aims for that. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Which is
1: what makes Strahd so cool, because he just comes in and fucks with them and yeah. leaves. <laughs>
0: What's great with Strahd and other masterminds is you can manipulate the party into giving the villain an opening for what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if the villain is aware that there are dangerous traps that they don't really want to deal with or there's something else that's time sensitive, they can manipulate the party to getting that powerful artifact knowing that they can beat the party, Mm -hmm. you know? So you wanna know what your villain's methods are. Mm -hmm. If they are a brute, ramp up that danger, have them break through walls, have them like show their physical power or their arcane power Mm -hmm. because a wizard can be a brute. If this wizard just, you know, turns, an an entire hill into an earth elemental. That is like daunting. Yeah.
1: One thing that I remember you saying a long time ago that's always stuck with me and now I watch everything thinking about this is like the introduction of a character. I think you said it particularly for the protagonist, but I think it's true for the antagonist as well. Should always show them like at their best, in their prime, doing what they do, which Mm -hmm. like so many... I think that must be, like, a a, a writer, storyteller, screenwriter just thing because I feel like my mind always goes back to Marvel because I think Marvel does this really well. Every movie pretty much opens with the main character at their best. Like, Mm -hmm. how many Marvel movies open with the characters just engaged in battle, like, doing what they do, showing them, showing the audience, like, This is the status quo, right? This is their normal. This is why they're so great. And then let's introduce whatever it is that's going to affect that or change that. And I feel like the villain should be the same, right? Like your first introduction to the villain should be them doing something horrible so Mm -hmm. that the audience is like, that's the villain. No questions asked. Like I understand who this person is and what they're about, which again, I keep going back to the Black Widow movie, which I loved, but there's so much wrong with it. You literally didn't see the villain until the end of the movie. So like, what the hell? (laughs) Like I I had nobody to fear. I had no concept of what the the antagonistic part of that story was until the very, very end. And then it was like, pretty disappointing.
0: Like uh when Vader shows up in the very uh, in the original Star Wars, yeah, he chokes literally the chokes guy a guy out. and throws him. And it's
1: the most iconic yeah. like everybody knows. Like that's what yeah. Vader does, like that hand choke like thing. Even, so cool. So
0: like, you know, speaking of um speaking of like Vader and like the most like infamous scene, like I am your father where he, you know, cuts off Luke's hand and throws him in the garbage. <laughs> Legacy of Cain. A net opening cutscene. You know, Raziel's explaining, oh, you know, the vampires, like Cain is the Lord and Master, the progenitor of all of us, and we can't evolve before him. And I had the audacity to evolve wings. And he like walks into the council chamber and Kane's like looking at him. He's like, oh, oh wow. And he's like, he like he goes behind Raziel. He like touches his wings, like and he just tears his wings off.
1: What? Yeah,
0: he tears the bones off of his wings. Like they're like bat wings, he just tears them off. And then he has Raziel's brothers throw him into the abyss. I'm like, what the hell? But it just showed me, like he's seated on his throne and then he goes and does it. And it just shows me, oh, damn. I do need to get revenge because That this, was
1: nasty. Yeah. I mean, okay, so on the opposite end of that spectrum, I feel like we don't have to tell people that they have to do, which I I, I genuinely mean that. I feel like I don't, I don't want people to yeah. think you have to just have the villain come in and, and, you know, cut someone. Like, you don't have to do this the nastiest, most violent thing because some parties are not, you know, that's something you want to talk about in session zero. was like, how nasty, how violent, yeah. how you know, how do you want to be? And I think a great, opposite of that that achieves the same thing is voldemort right like the whole first book technically you never meet voldemort but for the whole first book nobody says his name because they're so afraid of him Mm -hmm. they're so afraid of the memory of him that people don't speak his name and i think that that is such an effective way to tell you as the reader who this person is by the effect that they've had on this whole community of people. And even the first time that you do, quote unquote, meet him, he's pushing out of the back of some dude's head. Like it's so, yeah. It's that's still pretty nasty. Or,
0: I, or I'd even go f- like earlier than that. Like the first time I consider meeting him mm-hmm. is when he's feeding off of the unicorn. Yeah, which is. Like that's like if, if, and if he explains. wasn't attached to, you know, spoiler. Mm-hmm. That person wouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah, Coral wouldn't do that. But it's like, but this is this is like vulnerable. This is who he is. He's willing to kill something pure, and and that's that's
1: good storytelling on her part because it's like it's not like he killed a horse or a deer. Mm -hmm. It's like Hagrid explains unicorns are the single most pure thing ever, and to kill a unicorn for their blood is considered like the most heinous of heinous crimes. So. Yeah, it's a really good, you're right, like that's kind of the first time we see him and it's a super good introduction mm-hmm. because it shows the disregard that he has for goodness and life and it it shows you immediately what his values are or are not, which I think it it does circle back to the the moral thing. Like I think Voldemort is a good example of the antithesis of the moral argument of the story, which is that love and goodness and friendship like get you through anything or can conquer right. anything and Voldemort's like love doesn't even exist. I have henchmen. Y'all are what dumb. Do I need? Yeah, <laughs>
0: like um so I think I think when you're running a good villain, the main thing you want to do is foreshadow their power. Mm-hmm. So even a villain that won't show up to the very end, their henchmen, like if it's um if it's Demon Gorgon or some corrupting influence mm-hmm. Have a town go mad. Show them, show the characters that, you know, this is just one town. Mm -hmm. Imagine when this villain, which they may or may not know is part of this, but imagine what will happen when this villain, you know, comes into their full power. Um, So show them reasonably early or the ramifications of them reasonably early um, amp up the acting if you're not an actor, that's okay, but for your villain, make them stand out mm-hmm. um and build a connection between them and the party, or if not, their second in command and the party mm-hmm. if you if not palpatine, go at Vader, yeah, kind of thing, yeah, so yeah that's that's villains so much more to talk about yeah, we if might have we to had... do a
1: villains part two one day yeah um yeah i wanted to talk about villains for a long time because i feel like yeah every single time we watch something new um or read something new we always end up talking about the how good or bad the, the villain was that really like makes or breaks the story <laughs> for we me.
0: should talk about like female villains Cause I feel like what female villain. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> like I have to Google search female villains, Yeah. but it's, um, or they're usually Disney, but, sure. um, or classical stories. Cause you know, the women were always bad, yeah. but, um, I, I think, I think there's a little more nuance, um, mm-hmm. that, People do kind of miss yeah. uh, with female villains.
1: If you want us to do an episode about female villains, you can tell us that by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash rolematespod. We do have a um, a Patreon level where you can vote on, actually, all three of the levels, you can vote on future episode topics. So we'll definitely mm-hmm. add that to one of our polls in the future. Um, so yeah, you can find us at patreon.com slash Pod. You can also find us at our website. Rollmatespodcast.com and on Twitter, slash uh, Rollmatespod. Um, and yeah, please subscribe if you have not already. We really like making these episodes for you. We've yes.
0: Really uh, with your support, we can keep making them and make them even better than they already are. Yeah.
1: We'll make more of them.
0: Make more of them yeah. too.
1: <laughs> All right. We will see you all next week.
0: And may your villains be dastardly and devious. So much so that Sam will whisper,
1: he's a villain. (laughs) Okay, bye.
0: Bye.